Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. This is The Truth with Bill. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. I'd like to thank our listeners for always contributing. Today our show is based off a contribution from one of our listeners. Uh, I was sent a paper from Ed Manhood Jr., which depicts Gene Gepster's work, The Ever-Present Origin. And uh, Mr. Manhood Jr. does a great job summarizing Gene's work. Uh, I, I personally have never read uh, Gene Gepster or his work. I found it very interesting. I also found that in his work were some confirmations from what we had spoken about uh, in our other two podcasts, which I love. Uh, confirmations are great. Uh, they really show us that we're, we're headed down the right path. And I often kind of think about it like this. So I, I envision us as, as being ants. And as ants, we're going down a semi-straight line. And we could see, but not too well. So we can't see very far in front of us. And that's our visual sight. And then we use all of our other senses, which we could say are our antennas, to define this world. And we're tapping around with our antennas, moving in this straight line, and we're trying to digest everything around us and perceive it, understand it. And as we're going down, uh, another ant uh, coming by touches our antennas with their antennas, and they tell us you know, what, what's down there, where we're headed, or what they have seen. And then there are similarities, and we go, okay, yes, we're, we're going the right way. And that's what confirmations kind of do. And I, I have always paid attention to confirmations throughout life. They are really the driving force behind everything that I study, think about, and do. Um, and I, I, I implore all of you to uh, pay attention to your signs in life and, and follow them. Study them. See where they take you. I, I, I really believe that uh, every sign that I have had in life has brought me to where I am today. And I'm just very thankful for it. So without further ado, let's get to Gene Gepster's work, The Ever-Present Origin. Uh, the work itself is interesting in that Gene's approach is, in a way, very similar to Darwin's theory of evolution. Darwin sees biological bodies mutate. Those mutations are advantageous to survival of a specific species. And because they're advantageous... Uh, those mutations then become a part of that species, and that species can become a subcategory or a new species through these mutations. And maybe when we were kids uh, in a biology class, what have you, maybe we've done some work with uh, fruit flies, uh, altering their eye color, uh, wing shape, what have you. Uh, fruit flies are great to use because uh, the, their lifespan is very short, and they have multiple offspring. And if you want to manipulate certain uh, recessive or dominant genes, um, having a short lifespan and a high yield of offspring is, is good for that. Now, now Gepster, on the other hand, he, he's doing something differently than what Darwin did. Uh, Gepster is a cultural philosopher. Uh, he takes a look at the world from the very beginning to where he stands now. And he's, he's not so much interested in biological bodies like Darwin. Uh, rather, he's looking at humanity's development as a whole and how it has shaped human consciousness. And we could kind of see human consciousness, uh, if you will, like uh, 
the human biological body's solar ability to understand and perceive reality. Uh, Gebster believes that there's a starting point of human consciousness and through certain developments human consciousness can be placed in categories or structures. Uh, these structures are, uh, that Gebster that says, are archaic, magical, mythical, mental, and integral. He believes we're in the mental structure now and that we're headed into the integral structure. Uh, there are also two other concepts that Gebser describes. Um, one is latency and the other is transparency. Uh, latency is the demonstrable presence of the future. So what does that mean, the demonstrable presence of the future? Well, then latency would be the stepping stones that have gotten you to your current conscious structure. If you were in the integral structure, then the other four structures would be latent. The other four archaic, magical, mythical, and mental. Those four would be latent if you're in the integral. Transparency uh, is the form of manifestation of the spiritual. And uh, Mr. Ed Manhood has a quote here and it says, The origin, the source from which all springs, is a spiritual one. And all phases of conscious evolution are a testimony. Let's read that one more time. The origin, the source from which all springs, is a spiritual one. And all phases of conscious evolution are a testimony. So in short, because we can categorize structures of consciousness through a definable means, we are then able to prove that the driving force of evolution is spiritual. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be just evolution it would be evolution in every single way that there can be evolution, uh, which is very interesting, especially if we're opening up with Darwin's theory of evolution. Darwin's theory of evolution would be on one side of the fence. Gene Gebser would be on the other. Um, and what is interesting, too, uh, if you have ever read Darwin's Origin of Species, uh, one, it's very dry and scientific. Uh, however, taking note of the time frame in which Darwin had written this and, and studied this, he had to be very careful. Um, he's standing on shaky ground saying the things that he's saying, drawing the conclusions that he's drawing. Um, you could potentially get killed. The things he's saying are going against the church. And he had to be very careful uh, with how he wrote The Origin of Species. And if you read The Origin of Species with that in mind, you really see where Darwin must have struggled. And the word choice that he uses, it's very fascinating. Um, and, and Jean also does a very good job. Uh, so let, let's go back to Jean here. Well, I think what we'll do is go over uh, the five structures uh, briefly, and then, then we'll just kind of talk about the whole thing and, uh, and, and see some connections. So uh, the first one is archaic. Uh, this is ground zero. It's the starting point of human consciousness and quite possibly the starting point of, of humanity. Uh, we could picture the archaic dimension of not having any understanding of the world around them, uh, who or what they are. There's no I, there's no we. It's nothing, just a beginning, a sense of presence. And what, what I kind of see the archaic structures being is uh, like if you're in a dark room, uh, there's no light at all. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You know you're there, you know there's some items there, but you don't know what. Everything is just kind of there. And you're aware of it, but that's really it. Uh, the second structure is the magical structure of consciousness. Uh, the magic structure has five characteristics. They are uh, egoless, 
yeah, I'm sorry, egolessness, uh, spacelessness and timelessness, which are one thing here, uh, point-like unitary world, interweaving with nature, and it has a magical reaction to the world. The individuals in it would, would see the world and everything that happens in it with a sense of magic. Now, language is the core concept of this structure. Language gives meaning and enables memories and stories of past events. It's passed down verbally, though. Nothing is written. It's only verbal. There is no I, but there is a we. And this would be a hunter-gatherer kind of society. Uh, again, no sense of time. There's no written records. Uh, no sense of space. Space would be as far as an individual could travel before the sun goes down. And it could be in any direction. And as far as that individual knows, it's unlimited. It goes on forever you would have no concept of, of how far things go. Um, and also, I, I think it's helpful to, to think about the magic structure as if you yourself were placed into this world for the very first time, you know, outside in, in a hunter-gatherer kind of society, um, you, you would be experiencing the, um, the, the magical structure. And you could see this kind of um, this kind of interwoven community with, with nature, and you know you think about maybe the uh, indigenous people, the Native Americans, um, all kinds of things like that. And even today, we could see remote areas of the world that that have these tribal communities that are still very much in a magical structure, um, which is a great proof for Gene's work. And then the, the next structure is um, the mythical structure. We could say that the mythical structure of consciousness is the spiritual ear, uh, as in the spoken word. Uh, here in the mythical structure, the, the mouth is being the spiritual organ, uh, which would be the start of the written word, stories and myths. Uh, the myths are of man, and they're of the separation of man and nature. Uh, we see man and we see man go through uh, the magical structure, and now the separation begins, because man is now going against nature, whereas before he was working with nature. Uh, the magical structure is polytheist. Uh, I I'm sorry, uh, the mythical structure is polytheist. Uh, it is the mythical structure uh, that, has, that has humanity's soul and an afterlife. And, and we could see this in, in Egypt, in the Vikings, and it's also important to note that this is now a two-dimensional structure where we could view the, um, the magic structure one-dimensionally. Uh, the next is the structure we are currently in, and that's called the mental structure. Uh, this structure starts with Socrates, Plato, and the like. Humanity is becoming the master of its world, uh, and humanity has reached the eye. Um, we're completely separate from nature. We're now individuals, masters of nature. We're creating things to enhance our limited senses. Uh, with the eye, we also have isolation, loneliness, feeling of void. Uh, it's a third dimensional system where we could view the two below us, magic and mythical. Uh, this is a time where we're in now, and Gene believes that we're on the cusp of a new structure. Now, bear in mind, uh, I, I think Gene passed away and. Uh, 1973, 72 or 73. So Gene's last real memories are probably in the 50s and 60s, 
And the 50s and 60s are far different than what they are today. I would be very curious to know how Gene uh, perceives and, and thinks of this world that we, we are in now. Uh, but he believes that we are in the mental structure and headed to the integral structure. And the integral structure is a fourth dimensional structure. Being here would encompass time. Time would be lost or gained, depending how you look at it. Uh, time in this sense would be circumventing. Uh, this, I'm sorry, uh, time in this sense would be circumventing. Uh, to, to be in this structure, we would need a new realization. Um, and, and that's really kind of what happens in all of these structures. So in one you have spoken language, um, which leads to the next structure then being with written language and memories, which then have led to this structure. And to get out of this structure, we need something else. Um, what is really interesting about um, what Manhood had written here is how he describes the integral structure. And I'll go over what Manhood says, because I think this really sets the tone for this integral structure. Um, manhood describes love, how we view love, how we choose who we love, and our, our love scale is kind of on a gradient. So, uh, if you know, we have a biological family, right? Our, our mother, father, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, what have you, and we have a certain kind of love for them. Uh, if we have a significant other, there is a certain kind of love for them. And if we have coworkers and friends, there is another love for them. And then other people we come in contact with, if, if they fit our parameters of love, or, or if they, uh, I'm sorry, yes, if they fit our if they fit our parameters of love, then you know we love them back, or we could see ourselves loving them. But if they don't fit our parameters, then we don't love them at all. And it, it's very interesting how how we how we gauge who we love, how much we love them, and why. And, and what Manhood says here is uh, he compares our process of love with that of Christ's love. And, you know, Christ's love is, is loving all equally. Um, you know, loving the, the people who hurt you. And what th this was really one of the bigger confirmations for me in, in this paper, um, because we had talked about it in our, our first and second podcast, in that if if you, um, if you do not label, so no man, no woman, no specific race, just human, and you're doing this because how you label each other is of uh, fractions of the soul of the divine, which means we are all equally, um, all equal parts, then this is kind of a way to love the same way that Christ loved, right? Because if you see the divine in every living thing, then you are universally loving. There, there is no, well, you know, if, if they fit my, my love scale, then I will love them this much. Because that, that love scale, that is very much the I, that is very much the mental structure, um, because it's isolation, right? We, we said it was isolation when you start thinking in the I. 
so uh, Jean believes we're now into or, or ready to get into this integral structure, which is this not necessarily universal love, but it would be that kind of, of society, that kind of thinking um, in that it is all equal. And, and what's interesting is we start off with the we, then we go to the why, and in this integral structure encompassing time, we would go back to a we again, but a we on a very different level. And, and, and I think that that's important to note. And if we need some kind of change um, to, to take place to get us to this integral structure, what could that change be? If, if the first one was spoken language, right, and, and manhood talks about, uh, you know, the, the mouth and the ear being the spiritual organ, and then uh, the, the last spiritual organ was like the eye, uh, because uh, Gene looks at art and, and how art was being shaped and in his life. And in that time when he was writing this paper, art was a big deal. And, and that's what he was dealing with. Um, I really didn't bring up the art with uh, Gene today from his paper because I, I feel like it's not as valid today as it was then. Um, and, and we'll get to today and, and why it isn't valid. Um, but we need something big to, to change these structures. In, um, in, in the magic structure, we have the spoken word. Then the mythical structure, it's, it's the written word. We have these stories, these parables. Um, and now we are in the mental structure. Well, what then will take us out of it? And what do we see today that could then lead us there? So some interesting things I see today, personally. Um, communication, right? Our communication today is absolutely amazing. Our ability to communicate today is absolutely amazing. Um, right now, I am having this conversation with potentially everyone who is connected to the internet, um, which, which that could never be done, you know, uh, before my lifetime. Um, so before Gene's lifetime, you know, Gene had never saw this. What would Gene think about um, the, the ability to, to speak to individuals globally so fast, so easily? So I think communication will definitely shape and, and, and hopefully help bring us to this integral structure. But then I, I see some negatives. And I'd, I'd like to think that all this pain and suffering we have already seen, the pendulum's going to swing the other way, and we're going to, and, and that's what's going to open the door for this integral system. But I kind of don't believe that yet. I think we need another generation to go through. And unfortunately, I kind of believe that generation is going to be very lost. And there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering. And it is, will be out of that pain and suffering that things will change. And I, I think that the masses will, will feel this pain and suffering. And then the select few will be living a different kind of life. And the masses will see this select few, and it will be a choice of moving to this, to this select few way of life. And it'll be an easy choice, because the grass will not only look greener, it'll actually be greener. Unfortunately, for that to happen, the wave of pain and suffering has to be huge. And I feel like we are headed 
that way. And I say that because of the things that I see. Um, granted, our, our communication and our ability to communicate is wonderful. Our ability to learn and understand. Today, you could pick up your cell phone and learn any subject anywhere at any time. And that is really amazing. When, when I was going through college, I had a lot of trouble with calculus. Uh, calculus was very difficult for me. Uh, and I basically watched YouTube videos and taught myself calculus. And after doing this and, and finishing the class and, and getting good grades, I thought, well, why am I paying for school? I mean, if I, if I really just want to learn, I could just go on YouTube and learn. I mean, th this is wonderful. And, uh, and now it's, it's even more. Unfortunately, with all these good things, there are a lot of bad things. And I remember in our first podcast, I, I talked about the teacher and her students who had one complaint at home, which was when their parents had free time, they had a cell phone in front of their face and they couldn't speak to them. They couldn't talk to them because uh, they were preoccupied. And I remember growing up um, in my era, usually both parents had to work um, similar to today. And, you know, you weren't seeing one or the other that much. And, and there was some resentment as a kid for not being able to see your parents as much as you would like and, and spend the kind of time with them. But as an adult, I mean, surely you understood and, and knew that, geez, this is how life is. And, you know, to support myself, to support my family, I kind of have to work the same way in which my parents did. But now <laughs> it is not just parents working, it's parents coming home and then putting themselves in their own reality with their phone in front of them or with her computer in front of them, and it's complete isolation. And this is what these children are now being raised with and dealing with. And there will be a huge sense of uh, regret. Um, and, and the kids are gonna push back, but before they push back, they have to become adults. And I fear for these new adults coming. I, I, I don't know what it's going to bring. I believe it's not going to be good. And I believe people will start to see that, that certain pains and sufferings that you bring upon yourself cause dis-ease in, in the body, uh, dysfunction. And, and that there will be, like I said, lots of pains and sufferings. And, and then we have this other group, um, which quite possibly is closer to the integral structure than, than the others. And they are living a certain kind of life. And this life is healthy, uh, family-oriented, uh, seeing everyone back into the we as opposed to the I, um, and, and is almost kind of guiding the others and, and, and setting an example of, of how one could live life. And at a certain point in our own personal journeys, uh, through religion, metaphysically, philosophy, what have you, our own personal journeys of self-discovery, I, I think we come to a point where we feel a duty to kind of show others, like, look, th this is how you could live without, without this stress, w without this pain, without this suffering, because all of these things are self-inflicted. And I'm not telling you to, to live this way, 
I'm just living this way. And if you see me happy all the time and smiling all the time, if if you see me not struggling with with this or that or or there's no arguments and um, you know you, you see a longevity in in life and more than longevity, uh, a quality of life in that longevity, then then maybe individuals start scratching their head and saying, hmm, maybe that person has it right. And I think for those of us on that path, we have a duty to share this. And, and I, I firmly believe that's, that's why I'm, I'm doing this, these podcasts here. I, I really believe that I, I have some duty to share this with all of you, to have these conversations, um, to, to get everybody on board. Because my fear for what's going to happen in the future is so strong that I, I just want something that we, we could look back on and say, huh, maybe, maybe that's a better way to live or a better way to think or just a different way. So very interesting stuff, folks. So as always, if this podcast has started a conversation with yourself, a loved one, a friend, uh, please share it. And uh, again, thank you for the contribution um, today. Uh, I love that. Um, I expect more contributions from more listeners. We will make this show great uh, together. Uh, with that being said, uh, next week there will not be a podcast. We're going to take a week off to build an even better podcast two weeks from today. Um, so stay tuned. Don't forget about us. And of course, if something really prolific happens from now till two weeks from now, uh, we'll be making a podcast with it. Uh, so thank you all. And before I go, a, a quick little story here. Um, I, I may get some of it wrong, but the meaning is going to be absolutely correct. And that's what really matters. Uh, so here we go. A short story before we go today. Uh, there's an old man, you know, and he's sitting next to a, a river. And uh, he's meditating by the river and comes a, a prince who's coming by uh, with, with his people. And he sees the old man meditating by the river. And as the old man is meditating, he hears a plunk in the water and something falls. And he looks and sure enough, a scorpion falls from a branch into the water. And the old man grabs the scorpion. And as he grabs the scorpion, the scorpion stings him and ah, he drops the scorpion. And uh, the scorpion falls back into the water. So again, the old man grabs the scorpion. And again, the scorpion stings him. The old man does this a third time. And on the third time, the prince is next to him. And he says, old man, what are you doing? Why are you trying to save a scorpion? Do you not know the nature of a scorpion? The old man says, yes, I, I know the, the nature of the scorpion is to sting. He said, but my nature is to save. That's all we have time for today. Thank you all for joining us. This is The Truth with Bill. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.